0: Hello there, and a very warm welcome to the first proper episode of the Frantic Football Podcast. I'm Neil Shelet and I'm pleased to say I've been joined uh, by Raphael Adelukba. How are you, Rafael?
1: Hello, Neil. Hope you're well. Um, I had a good weekend myself watching over football, and can't wait to talk about it on the first proper episode on the pod.
0: Yep, and we've also got uh, the Euro expert himself. It's Alex Barker. Are you doing, Alex?
2: I was on a podcast last night that I'm going to share the scoop on later on in this uh, podcast. Looking ahead of the agenda, we you guys have got you listeners have got today. It's a very good and diverse one, so I'm looking forward to getting this episode started.
0: Yep. Uh, Speaking of the agenda, we've got uh, stuff from Belgium and the Netherlands uh, to some big, big derbies. uh, Slightly east in the likes of Greece and Turkey, and we we'll also briefly touch up on some top five league action and we'll shout some other stuff out uh, in some cups, some other leagues. And finally, we'll be talking transfers and we will really quickly look ahead to uh, what's going to be going on this week. So without further ado, let's get into things. Right. Uh, let's start in Belgium, as we said. Uh, the first game I want to talk about uh, is the Sunday afternoon or morning game that uh, I picked in the last episode. Uh, if you would listen to that, uh, which is Genk versus Club Brugge. Now, uh, I, as you as you'll know, this was Scott Parker's first match in charge of the defending champions Club Brugge, uh, and he went for standard four three three formation, which w- worked pretty simply in possession and turned into 4-4-2 defensively. And I thought they started pretty well. Uh, they scored the opening goal early on uh, through uh, Hans Vanaken. But then I think as uh, Hank started to understand what their system was like, they started to grow into the match, started to get better. Uh, so then they equalized quickly from a corner after a little mistake from Simo Mignole. Uh, and then they eventually took the lead in the second half through uh, Paul Onuachu, who's now got 14 league goals uh, in 16 games in the Pro League, which makes him the outright top scorer. Uh, and then, yeah, after that, club uh, had a player sent off in what was a pretty, pretty feisty match, really. Uh, even uh, the gank manager, Vuter Vranken, was sent off in the first half. Uh, so, there, there, there was quite a bit of tension. Um, and yeah, finally, uh, after the red card, it was all gank and they scored a third, which was assisted by uh, young Bilal Elkhanous, uh, who's, I'd say, one of the real uh, breakout stars of the Pro League this season. So, he, he certainly one to watch, but... Uh, overall, a huge win for Geng, uh, the league leaders who have maintained their gap at the top, and club are now 15 points behind them. So Parker has quite a job on hand. Uh, but af- after this match, uh, there were a couple of other as well on Sunday in Belgium. And another big game was actually a Brussels derby uh, between Anderlecht, who are clubs, the traditional biggest rivals uh, for club, and a certain Royal Union Saint-Gilbois, who were only promoted last season, but have been in the title race in both campaigns. And uh, Rafael was watching this match. So let's hear about it from him. Hey, saint hey,
2: you know, You've smashed it then. <laughs> I was loving it alone. Incredible. Along. Incredible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try, we try. Um, yeah, as you were saying, um. You know, I was watching Anderlecht versus USCG. Um. Yeah, I've been following Anderlecht all season and that game was quite symbolic of their season. Um, some good individual performances, from the likes of Bart Van Broggen, who's a young keeper, who's just come in, and beyond Fabio Silva, who actually scored uh, the only goal for the league. But they just shoot themselves in the foot too many times. Despite taking the lead in the second half, really red from Musa and Dai, 10 minutes in was, uh, was always going to punish them and they eventually did with USC scoring three goals in the last nine minutes of the game. Um, and it's a lot to do for Brian Ramos, man.
0: Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I was also j- just tuned in. And I think I completely agree with what you said. I, I thought f- uh, from an union perspective, their performance was really poor given the fact that they had the man advantage. But, you know, they came good in the last 10 minutes, scored thrice. So, they remain uh, seven points behind Hank. Uh, and Underleft, on the other hand, are not even in the top half of the table. They're all the way down in 11th on just 23 points, uh, which means they have less than half the amount of points uh, as league leaders gank. So, yeah, a huge job uh, on hand for Brian Reamer. Uh, Let's see see how that goes. Uh, Moving on, you know, this is the Frantic Football Podcast, so we will have to move on very quickly from all the matches on these reviews. So, (laughs) let me tell you quickly about... Uh, a couple of derbies which we would teased a little earlier. Uh, One uh, was the uh, Intercontinental Derby in Turkey in the Super League between the top two, uh, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. Just one point separating the two teams heading into this match. Uh, I think throughout the season, uh, uh, George Jesus's tactics at Fenerbahce have been really interesting. He's usually uh, used a 4-1-3-2 formation, which looks quite different in practice, but it's really interesting to watch. Uh, but he, anyway, he switched to a 3-4-2-1 for this match, uh, but I, I don't think that worked as well as he would have liked because there were very few chances and he abandoned it at uh, halftime anyway. And well, Kalat took their chances and they ended up winning 3-0. Uh, thanks to goals uh, from Sergio Oliveira, uh, Kerem Akhtar Koglu and uh, Mauro Icardi, who you might have heard of. So, uh, with that, Galatasaray's lead is up to four points at the top of the table and Fenerbahce have now lost two of the last four league games. So, they've slipped from leading the league to, well, second now. Uh, And elsewhere, another big derby between the top two uh, in Greece, uh, in Athens, uh, the Athenian derby uh, between AEK and uh, Panathinaikos. And of course, it's not the biggest derby in the city. Obviously, that is Olympiakos against Panathinaikos, but this was also huge, uh, especially given the context of the title race. And this ended up being Panathinaikos' first loss of the league season. Uh, They they had an unbeaten record after, I believe, uh, 16 games uh, to this point, but... It wasn't the best of performances from them. They were uh, really, really contained in this game, I thought. Uh, and AK they came up with a huge win thanks to just one goal, which was also scored from a really tight angle uh, in uh, like 60, 70 minutes in. So the gap at the top is now down to four points there uh, as uh, Panas and Icos chased their first title since 2010 and IK since 2018. And uh, another three points uh, from IK, which is seven points from the top. We've also got uh, Olympiakos and Pauk. So the Super uh, Super League title race in Greece is going to be very, very interesting. Right, uh, moving on, we'll head back west to the Netherlands, uh, where there were a couple of big games in the weekend as well. And if you listen to the uh, preview part from uh, Friday... Alex uh, picked out one to watch on Sunday uh, morning and, well, he certainly followed his advice. So let's hear from him about Utrecht uh, versus Feyenoord.
2: Hey, you might have, you know, been impressed or let down. It was a 1-1 draw for Utrecht uh, versus Feyenoord. You know, it came from an early goal from um, Jens Thunstra, who is assisted by, guess who, Baz Dost. Yeah, the absolute hero, the tall man, target man, who's never really succeeded anywhere in a top five league, but you've got to love him. He, he got a good assist to Tornstra. It was really nice, sort of tap back, actually. It was only in the third minute, and it left Feyenoord and Unslot chasing the game for pretty much all the 90 minutes until former Brighton winger, I mean, he's always introduced like that, but he's really carved his own career in the Odovise. And is called got a 90th minute winner. And it was, it was a rocket from outside of the box as well. So it was a fantastic result in the end for uh, Utrecht because it was a manager's debut as well for Mikael C- Silebauer. Hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right. Lots of manager debuts um, this week. Uh, in in Europe for the league's returning and he played a really good game and it's worth saying as well uh, the player that two players want to pick out Kokutu Someone that a lot of players, a lot of scouts in Europe are getting excited about. Finals defensive midfielder got completely shut down in this game. The one who really stood out for me was Gertroeder. Though hey, you might you might recognise him from playing at right back, sometimes sort of set about for finals. He's playing at defensive midfield this game. He had a couple of off passes, but the fact he could fill in was fantastic. And even though it was a one-one draw for finals, we're going to find out I think from the other of result why it wasn't that bad of a that bad of a result in the end, aren't we?
0: Yep, indeed. Uh... As you as you as you'd mentioned earlier, Feyenoord were the league leaders, uh, and and they've they've really held on to their lead. And the reason behind that is the fact that both Ajax and PSV have dropped points as well this weekend. Of course, for PSV, uh, this was their first match uh, post Cody Hakpo, who's who also who was I think simultaneously, in fact, making his debut for Liverpool. Uh, so PSV played out uh, a goalless draw against uh, Sparta from Rotterdam. Uh, I'll admit I wasn't watching this match to be honest, but. Um, I, I saw on Twitter that uh, Jose Perez uh, was, uh, he's, he's a, PS, a PSV season ticket holder and really a guy you should be following if you want to know about the club or, you know, Dutch football in general, really. Uh, and I, I think w- w- what he said was that it was overall a pretty impressive performance from PSV given their issues earlier in the season, which they seemingly rectified mostly to do with like their defense and their buildup and that sort of stuff. Uh, but he, uh, their, their attack seemed uh, rather, you know, not, I, w- I wouldn't say flat, but it, it, it wasn't, it, it was rather stagnant maybe. And well, this is this is not really a Khakpo replacement issue, but perhaps more of a tactical issue, which is something they will have to work on. Uh, but yeah, so drop points for, from, for them too, and indeed for uh, Ajax. Who I believe now have failed, uh, sorry, have won just, sorry, they've drawn their last four league games. Uh, this time they were against NSC uh, from Nijmegen. Uh, they scored first through Davy Classen, but then a second half equalizer early on uh, meant that they could only come away with one point. And in, in fact, uh, in uh, the Eredivisie from the top five, it was only uh, FC20 who managed to come away with all three points this weekend. So all of the other four dropping points, uh, and that means uh, odds three-point lead at the top has been preserved, but the gap between them uh, to fifth-placed uh, AZ is just four points. And from second to fifth, so from IX to AZ, it's just one point. So we're going to have a huge title race there for sure uh, as we enter the, well, well, not really the second half of the season, but you know the post-World Cup uh, part of the season. So, this is another another league which you should really be following if you want some real entertainment at the top. Uh, and we, we'll briefly also mention uh, Portugal because there were some big results there. Uh, most impressively, perhaps, is newly promoted Casa Pia holding defending champions Porto to a goalless draw, even though they were down to 10 for most of the match. Uh, so, with that, Porto slipped down to third because Braga won their game and Benfica won one nil over Portimonese without Enzo Fernandez who was dropped from the squad because of you know partly because of all his transfer drama and well they only won one nil uh, they did have two penalties of which they scored one but even then they scored something they generated something around 5xg which is just a huge tally uh, for one game so a really impressive performance for them uh, even though, they, only, they can only get a 1-0 win, but that doesn't matter. Their lead at the top uh, remains. And then let's move on to a couple of top-flight top, uh, top flight league uh, matches and results. Uh, let's first go to Spain, where obviously the big game saw Villarreal uh, face Real Madrid. Uh, we've got Rafael who, watched, who was watching. Uh, so let's hear from him.
1: Yeah, um, this game was very fun. Like, extremely fun, but... Um... Kike, men set up, uh, Kike Setien has set up this Villarreal side really well, having the ability to maximize his attacking talent in Pino, Moreno and Chicoise, but also having a stable shape out of possession. And that was seen against Madrid. And Villarreal's press was incredible against Real Madrid. They were able to hunt down the likes of Alaba as well for that first goal as Pino's deflected shot went in. Um, and for their second goal, they again, their press and their just intense game was on show as uh, Moreno won a penalty and scored. Um, in terms of Madrid, Kahlo will just be happy to see the likes of Vinicius Jr. and Karim Benzema looking shot when they got the ball. Um, Vinicius was able to get in behind for Madrid's first and Benzema was able to tuck away what was quite an obnoxious penalty, but they weren't able to get anything out of that game. But, as I said, Carlo will be happy to see the likes of Vinicius Jr., Valverde, and Benzema look sharp um, post-World Cup.
0: Yep, and I think most of you will have uh, seen the stat that this was, I believe, Real Madrid's first uh, eleven without any Spanish players at all, uh, well, either in the La Liga days or since this sort of data is being tracked. Uh, but, of course, they couldn't come in with the win. And for Villarreal... It's six straight wins now after they got off to a rather poor start under kiké at the end. But as Rafael said, he's, he's, he's really seemed to get things clicking on the other side of the World Cup break. So, that time certainly helped him. And moving on, uh, let's let's quickly go over... Oh, I, I should first mention uh, that this result is also big at the top uh, of the La Liga uh, title race because uh, Barcelona won over Real's rivals Atleti on Sunday night. So, they have a three-point lead now. Uh, Real, obviously, second. And Atleti, in fact, are quite a fair way back because they're only level on points uh, with Villarreal. So, they're down in fifth on 27 points and Barcelona have uh, 41 at the top of the league. So, well, I suppose another two-horse race uh, awaits us in La Liga. It's not something particularly new. And that's exactly why we're telling you to watch the other leagues, like the Eredivisie. But an- one of the top five leagues, which does... Tend to throw up some really interesting title races uh, of late has been Serie A. And there's, there's some more twists this weekend, as there seem to be every weekend, really. Uh, obviously, uh, we all know about Napoli's amazing season, and they came with a 2 0 win over Sampdoria. So uh, their lead uh, has actually been extended because of some other results, which include uh, Milan dropping points late, late on against Roma. Uh, in their dot points against Monza. Juventus uh, beat Udinese 1-0 which made it 8 straight wins for them and all 8 with clean sheets. So now they're level with Milan on second, 7 points behind Napoli. Uh, and also, another interesting game was uh, Lazio versus Empoli. Uh, and Alex was watching that and he he saw some interesting stuff there. So I think he, he'd like to talk a bit about that. Go on, Alex.
2: Maurizio, sorry. And the first time well, that's the first time Sarri's had a second season at a club since 2015, 2016 with Napoli. It's been a very long time since these ideas have been given, you know, time to implement. And for the majority of this game, it really looked to be showing Lazio unplayable for the first half, in my opinion. He raced to a 2-0 lead, two-nil lead about uh, the 54th minute. Felipe Anderson, uh, formerly of West Ham. He was fantastic in this game. He was involved in both goals. Uh, he probably shouldn't have had the first goal. It was, it was definitely an own goal um, by one of the employee defenders from a corner, but he played a pretty good role in the second one where uh, he managed to squeeze the ball to Caputo with a shot-slash-cross, uh, which fell to of him. Sakangi, so sorry, so can you. Um, there That's his left winger. But in the final 10 minutes against Empoli, Lazio blew a 2-0 lead and ended up drawing 2-2, which was a horrific result because at the beginning of last week, Lazio were in the top four. Then they lost uh, 2-1 midweek, which apparently got Sarri, you know, absolutely levering into his players after the game. And it looked like they could have been back into the top four with this. But they blew a two, 2-0 lead to Empoli. Uh, the goals came from Caputo and Razvan Marin, And I I should say as well, there's two games that I was covering in depth today on this podcast. And it was the two last goals I got mixed up because in finals game, uh, their last minute goal came from uh, Santiago Jimenez, their striker, with a very delicate header. It was this game where Raz van he scored the belter from outside of the box. Absolutely fantastic. That'll be the last time I watched an employee in Syria, was when they came back to beat Napoli 3-2. So they seem to be a source of inspiration and source of excitement. Uh, Definitely keep an eye on Syria. Lazio, I think, under Sarri, will be a a force that continues to grow as long as he keeps getting time of recruitment. But overall, really good title race in Italy. A really good top four race as well.
0: Yep. uh, And, well, next Friday we've got a battle between the top two. We've got Juventus versus Napoli. Uh, We'll probably talk about that more uh, in the next episode. Uh, but for this one, this is all we've got for our, our, our more... Well, it's, it's, it wouldn't be fair to say in-depth, but our certainly more than two-sentence uh, match reviews because we've still got a lot more to talk about, uh, including some other results which we really briefly mentioned uh, and transfers and a quick preview of the week, as I said. So we'll be doing that in just a bit. Right. Um, so we've got, as I said a number of other results that we'd quickly like to mention. Obviously, you'll probably know that there were uh, cup ties both in England and France, and I personally really love cup football because of all the upsets and all, all the drama it throws up. So, I'd just like to mention a few teams that stage such upsets of varying degrees, it's safe to say. Uh, for example, Burnley beat Bournemouth uh, in the FA Cup, but you know, we'd all probably have seen that coming given how different the two-team seasons have been, but uh, elsewhere, the likes of Blackpool, uh, Fleetwood Town, uh, Ipswich, non-league Wrexham, uh, Sheffield Wednesday over uh, Newcastle United, who are third in the Premier League, as you'll know, and Stevenage over Premier League side Aston Villa, Stevenage of course from League Two. All of these teams stayed some amazing, amazing performances and big upsets to advance to the next round. Uh, but well, if you thought the FA Cup was, uh, if you thought the FA Cup had some big upsets, then well wait till you hear about the coupe de france because 6 tier amateur side fco strasbourg königsherfen 06 uh, who are in the northeastern french city of strasbourg they beat clermont foot who are of course a liga side so there were five divisions between these teams uh, as i said uh, strasbourg königsherfen are not even a professional club they're, they're an amateur side but they managed to hold on to a nil nil draw and they've managed to win on penalties in what is an absolutely incredible result. Certainly the biggest cup upset I've seen in 2023. And it's going to take something to top that. But maybe they might do it when they face uh, Angers in, in, in the next round. Because, well, funnily enough, Angers also advanced on penalties uh, against a certain uh, Racing Club. The uh, strasbourg Alsace, who are of course, the main team of Strasbourg, the city. Uh, and, of course, they are league con- contestants, although... That might not be the case next season. Perhaps we'll talk about that in some other episode. Uh, But uh, elsewhere, uh, Lepuy from the third tier uh, beat Nice. uh, And and that has just recently led to Nice sacking uh, Lucien Favre. Um, Obviously, there's more to it than just this one result. Uh, They've not been going particularly well in Liga, where they're outside the top half of the table at the moment. So perhaps we'll also be discussing that uh, once they appoint a permanent successor, uh, and also some other upsets staged uh, in the Coupe de France uh, were from Rhodes and Thao. I hope I've said that right because I couldn't find a pronunciation for them. Um, So yeah, a a great day, uh, uh, a great weekend, I should say, for Cup football, uh, and there'll be more, I'm sure, in in both of these uh, countries as the rounds advance in both the FA Cup and the Coupe de France. Um, Elsewhere, let's quickly dive straight down to Australia where there was some incredible drama uh, in the A-League men's where Wellington Phoenix, uh, who are of course uh, based in New Zealand, uh, they survived not one but two stoppage time penalties against Sydney FC, uh, of course in Sydney, to come away with their first away win. Since April 2022, uh, it, it was a certain Adam Lafondre, uh, an Englishman who many of you might have heard of, who stepped up to take both penalties. The first one was saved. It was a pretty dodgy penalty awarded, actually, because it was a very contentious handball call. But well, it was saved. Then immediately after it, there was another handball and again a penalty awarded. And this time he skied it, he, he sent it way over the crossbar. So, well, not a great day for him, but certainly an amazing day. For Wellington Phoenix, who, as I said, uh, got their first away league win uh, since April 2022, so you know, close to a year, uh, and and they are just a point off uh, the top six in the A League Men's, so they're well within contention of making it uh, to the playoffs. So, a huge result for them. And in the A League Women's, uh, there was perhaps an even more shocking result as the Western Sydney Wanderers got their very first win of the season. over four-time winners, uh, Melbourne City FC. Uh, You know, Melbourne uh, were not not as good as you'd expect them to be, of course, but still an incredible performance from uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers and a huge, huge win, uh, which is not not just their first of the season, uh, but their first in almost a year and their first uh, under uh, head coach, Kat Smith. Of course, they're still, since it's just their first in of the season, they're, and they're just on, like, four points. So, still a long way for them if they want to make it to the playoffs, but perhaps a page turned. Moving on, uh, let's go straight across to Spain, where uh, the top-flight women's league got back underway after a short winter break. Of course, Barcelona are dominant in that uh, division, so they came with a 4-0 win over Sevilla. Uh, with a brace from uh, 19-year-old uh, Salma Paraluelo, who already has seven goals and two assists in eight league appearances. so That's another huge talent coming up uh, in Barcelona. Another one to watch. And of course her goals here have helped her, her team uh, build up an advantage at the top of the league which is seven points but they've played fewer games than a couple of the teams below them. So uh, They look well on track to be uh, lifting yet another uh, title there. And yeah, that's about it for all of the major matches this weekend. I'd just like to mention uh, some other quick bits of news. Uh, Just as we recorded this, uh, there was news of uh, Gareth Bale's retirement, uh, which he announced on Twitter and all social media. Uh, I think uh, Rafael's got a bit to say about that.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Bale. Um, who, in my opinion, is probably one of the best footballers I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I think many would agree. I'd probably say only Wayne Rooney in the last 30 years or so could rival him as the best British footballer of all time. Um, We've seen the likes of Wayne Rooney, of course, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Paul Scores, elite talent. Um, dude in the Premier League, but Gareth was one of the very few to go out and do it on the continental stage for Real Madrid. And of course, he did it in America for LAFC a couple of months back and the things he's done on the international level for Wales as well. Um, again, being leading that team to a, a Euro 2016 semi-final and leading them to their first World Cup in 58 years. He's Bale has just been a true inspirational footballer. And yeah, I wonder what you guys think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I for one completely agree with you. Uh, You know, he's he's had a really incredible career. I I I think I saw a tweet from uh, Phil Kitromilides was it who who said that he's he's got more goals at Real Madrid than uh, Ronaldo, uh, Nazari, of course, uh, more assists than David Beckham, and and more trophies than Zinedine Zidane. So. You know, I, th- I think that really has it all. He's had an incredible career. And, and as you say, of course, he's done bits elsewhere too. Obviously, he came through at Tottenham. And, and his final stint, uh, final stint at LAFC was, yeah, it was, it was just incredible. I think with what, well, with one of his last touches uh, off of a football professional, uh, at least on, in club football, he equalized in like the eighth minute of stoppage time in extra time for LAFC uh, back last year to take their uh, MLS final, MLS player final two penalties against the Philadelphia uni- uh, Union which they ended up winning. So th- I think that's his last contribution in club football and I think that says it all about his career. What, what, what do you think
2: Alex? Do you have anything to add? No, there no, you no, But in the Premier League I remember his final season there for Spurs, It was a force of nature. I'm not sure you know, how well it will be for his consistency maybe, especially in Spain, but in terms of highlight packages, he'll have one of the best of all time. So definitely, I think that, and that's what's going to mark him out as a legend of the game. When you'll be able to go back and see what Gareth Bale did with football, you know, it, it, it will be a, a very long montage of some incredible goals. Yep, uh, it, it's it's quite the quite quite
0: the highlights package, as you say. And while well, we're already starting to see some stuff on Twitter. And I, for one, like I'm really enjoying it. A couple of, couple of other bits of news. Um, over in the Danish Superliga, which is, of course, uh, having its winter break slash extended World Cup break at the moment. Uh, Fleming Pedersen, uh, their head coach of FC Nordjylland, who are leading the way in the title race, has perhaps a little shockingly announced that he is stop- uh, stepping down from his position at this very moment. So... Uh, one of uh, the backroom staff will be taking over as head coach, and uh, perison will stay on uh, in the coaching uh, department in, uh, with the coaching uh, staff for the rest of this season. So perhaps you shouldn't expect much to change uh, in the way Nortelon play, but but at the same time, he's he's going to take over as the technical director uh, of uh, the uh, F- of of the club and also of their uh, Right to Dream Academy project, which uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of. Uh, it's 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 Perhaps the thing that the club is associated with the most, certainly outside of Denmark. And and they're really well known for their uh, talent production and talent development. So uh, that's uh, what uh, the update is uh, from nord in Denmark. Uh, Of course, the Superliga will be back in, I think it's still over a month. So perhaps we'll discuss this uh, in greater depth uh, once we get there. Uh, but, But elsewhere, a really fun piece of news which I found... Uh, was uh, the official Twitter page of of the Football Federation of the Marshall Islands, which is the only nation uh, on Earth uh, without a national football team, and, and they say they are aiming uh, to change that. Uh, so well, let's see, let's let's keep an eye on that. And uh, if 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 they do succeed, then I think football will truly be the global game in in every sense of the word. So. That's a really interesting development uh, for us to follow. And as promised, uh, let's have some transfer chat now. Uh, We'll talk about uh, some done deals, uh, some speculation. And again, we'll have to be pretty quick about it. Uh, So one one deal I wanted to mention was uh, a confirmed move uh, of uh, Mislav Orsic uh, to Southampton. Uh, Orsic, uh, who many of you might have seen at the World Cup uh, for Croatia, where he scored that wonderful goal uh, against Morocco. And, and and that really is one of his trademark moves, uh, cutting inside from the left and finding the top corner. He's been at Dinamo Zagreb for uh, lots of years now. I think he's got over 200 appearances from them for them. Uh, and uh, well, as a as a left winger, he's got over 90 goals uh, from those games. So that's a that's a pretty pretty good tally. And well, certainly Southampton would love to get uh, some of those special strikes to build them out in, in matches because they are well in a relegation medal of course they're last in the Premier League so they will need those moments of magic and, and Oshi oh certainly is one who can provide them. so that, that's a move I'm really excited for. Uh, I'm excited to see him in the Premier League. Uh, and well we might see some more uh, new jo- new signings in the Premier League because Chelsea seemed really busy uh, this summer I think just a couple of hours before we record this there have been some reports. Of them uh, agreeing a deal uh, for Atletico Madrid's uh, João Felix. Uh, uh, Alex has been uh, tracking him for quite a while. So I think it'll be interesting to hear what you have uh, to think about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was a bit more, I'm a bit less positive than I was after I saw the fee, which appears to be an 18 million pound loan fee, maybe euros to be fair, which is a lot of money for someone who hasn't scored more than 10 league goals since he joined. I think since his first season, well, he hasn't started over twenty La Liga games since his first season under Simeone. Um, but then, I think there's a bit more criticism online than maybe this move warrants. As a lot of people saying Chelsea don't need Jau Felix, but if you can get him back to his Benfica days, where he produced one of the best seasons we've seen of a young player, someone who could who showcase amazing ball striking and someone who has continuously outperformed his non-penalty expected goals since he's um, since that's been measured by him in his career he's someone he's an above average finisher and a player who has the vision to unlock a deep block which is one of Chelsea's biggest problems so Gioffi this Chelsea I think could be the key for them perhaps to unlock you know the deeper sitting teams of the Premier League but it's a heavy price to pay and we'll see how it pans out. But I wouldn't be writing it off completely because there's definitely a lot of talent in Jalfi. It just hasn't been utilised well by Atletico Madrid.
0: Yeah, I, I think this, the second part of that, uh, the atle- part about Atleti not utilising him properly is I think, certainly something everyone can agree with. But, but let, let's stay with Chelsea because it's, it seems they're being linked with almost every player on the market at the moment. And another one of them is uh, Mikhailo Mudrik. Uh, of uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, who's, who's of course also heavily uh, linked with Arsenal for quite some while, but it appears Chelsea are also interested in him. So Alex, what do you think about that potential move?
2: I think I, well, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, I was on a Ukrainian football podcast last night and I went on there specifically really to learn about Modric. I mean, I came on to talk about his adaptation to the Premier League, but really I sat back and let these Ukrainian guys talk through him. Um, And we all actually agreed that even though he doesn't really want to move to Chelsea, he wants to move to Arsenal, Chelsea probably need him more. We think he's the closest they could have to an Eden Hazard replacement since he left. And that's a player they've never really replaced. Um, So, yeah, I'm very, very curious to see what Modric does, because there was actually an update before we start recording as well that he reportedly was asked by a fan, would he join Chelsea and he put no with a love heart on social media, which so it really ties in with how he's behaving so far and how desperate he is to move. But there's just a couple of things I wanted to pull from that podcast. I was so interested. The guy spoke about how, if you look at your pictures of him even a year ago, two years ago, when he first started going to the gym, he looks completely and utterly different to how he does now. And he just goes in the gym 24 7 to bulk up. When Roberto Zerbi, the current price manager, moved to Shakhtar, he asked uh, mother like, what do you want to achieve as a footballer? And Muddog just, you know, dryly put back, he said, I want to win the Ballon d'Or. So even though he is definitely overpriced at around £80 million, Shakhtar asked him for, um, and, you know, it's relatively unproven, this is a player who's got serious pedigree. And in fact, De Zerbe himself did say that um, if if Muddog doesn't become a world-class talent under me, then I failed. So I, whoever gets him out of Chelsea and Arsenal, I'd be really excited.
0: Yeah. As you say, there's no doubt. There's an incredible player in there, so that let's see if he moves this some uh, in this window, or it, it looks extremely likely that he'll move somewhere in the summer. So that's certainly one to watch. Uh, let's let's move on to some uh, perhaps slightly lesser uh, reported transfers. A couple of them. Uh, one I'd like to point out was uh, Ruslan Malinowski who uh, has left Atalanta to join uh, Marseille in France. Of course, uh, Malinovsky has been linked for quite some time uh, to uh, tottenham uh, in the premier league but he's ended up moving over uh, to uh, france um, i you know i think he's he's a really he's a player that i really enjoy watching a lot because he's he's superb on the ball he's technically brilliant he, he he's not had the best of seasons at atalanta really he's sort of i say fallen out of favor a bit he's not starting as many games as he'd like Having to come off the bench for like brief cameos a lot, so I think it's a good move for him. Uh, Atalanta, uh, well, f- is, is it good for them, of course, because they get some uh, funds which they can reinvest somewhere, perhaps. And and for Marseille as well, uh, they sold uh, Gerson, uh the Brazilian attacking midfielder, uh, to I believe Flamengo earlier in this window. So I, I, I'd imagine he he's he's coming to, to replace. Uh, like inter- positionally at least, uh, Gerson in the squad. So I- I'm excited to see how that goes. Uh, of course, Marseille are a pretty fun team to watch under Igor Tudor uh, this season after Jorge Sampaoli left in the summer. So uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting move. Uh, and another one uh, which which is also being reported for, for uh, quite some time but perhaps might uh, might move further in this window uh, is Conrad Leimer to uh, Bayern Munich. And again, Alex has been keeping an eye on, uh, on uh, this transfer since I believe last summer, I guess, when it was first being touted. Uh, so let, let, let's hear from you, Alex. What do you think about this move?
2: Yeah, I think this is a very typical Bayern Munich move. If you're unaware, Conrad Lima's contract will run out in the summer and he's going to be joining Bayern on a free transfer. And I th- I think this spells two things. One, Bayern's dominance to the Bundesliga, even though it wobbled a bit earlier this part, early part of the season when Union Berlin were top in the league. I don't think it's going anywhere, but I think the, the very interesting thing that I wanted to talk about was how, uh, how would Ryan Birch feel? It's been spoken about in the German press recently that um he's not, particularly happy with the game time he's been given by Julian Nagelsmann. and he isn't that young I mean he's 20 years old which you know in ordinary terms that is extremely young but for a footballer you look around at Jamal Musiala in his own team he's 19 years old and valued by transfer at 100 million pounds you look at Jude Bellingham at Dortmund who's you know playing brilliantly you look at Pedri you look at Garvey Gravenberch is at a position now where as a world-class young talent is what he probably considered himself. He should be playing week in, week out. He wasn't getting any minutes before Corralaba arrived. And now after this summer, he's got another body to be battling with. And if you look at the Bayern midfield, no one seems to be leaving anytime soon. The closest might be Joshua Kimmich. His contract is up in 2025. That's it, really. So... I think this move is quite symbolic for a number of reasons, and it's going to fly completely under the radar for most people. But hopefully, listeners to this podcast don't let it fly under the radar and maybe start thinking who could get Ryan Gravenberch in, at least on a loan transfer.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, Limer worked with Nagelsmann uh, at Airbell Leipzig uh, in the past. So, you know, that's yet more reason that he'll probably. Slot in above Gravenbech in the breaking or pecking order right from when he slots in. So, yep, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, Something for us to keep an eye on. Uh, Another move which has really gathered pace this weekend and then seemed to have fallen off. So, it it seems up in the air right now, but I'd say let's discuss it anyway. Uh, It's uh, about Wechhorst potentially to Manchester United. Obviously, he's currently on loan at uh, Besiktas in Turkey uh, from uh, Burnley. Now, I've recently seen reports saying that there, there isn't any clause in his contract for a loan to be terminated. Uh, and the only clause there is for Besiktas to sign him permanently. So, I, I don't know how this is going to end. Maybe they'll strike an agreement. But let's in the, in the hypothetical situation where he does join Manchester United, uh, this, this will be a very interesting transfer. Uh, and I think uh, Rafael's been following both him and, of course, United. What, what do you think about this move, Rafael? Because it's it, it certainly not a big player signing, which you'd expect, usually from a club of United stature, but it might be a sensible move.
1: Yeah, as you said, this isn't the typical Manchester United um, big-name signing that they would make if they were looking to push towards a season, which they're looking... United looked really good this season under Ten Hag, um, still battling all four competitions, and you'd think uh, a bigger name would be pushed um, from Ten Hag and from the board to go um, potentially succeed in any objectives they have. But yeah, as a Manchester United fan, I really like this deal. Um, I think, I feel like there has been a misconception from United fans in general about the type of, uh, of profile we need in the attack. Of course, there have been links to João Felix, who is reportedly going to Chelsea and Cody Hathboe, who has already signed for Liverpool, but I believe the links to Alvin Morata that we are hearing early in the window, and now Valvergos, um, are more suitable options is nine. Having a more physical, box-occupying, traditional number nine seems the way to go, in the short term anyway, for Eric Ten Hag, and Viggo seems a suitable option. For Bestricas, we've seen him get eight goals and four assists in 16 games. He's been, on social media, he's been branded as a Burnley flop, per se, but that certainly isn't what you would think from people who watch him on a more regular basis. They really like him over there in Bestricas. And if he is to leave and come to Manchester United, I think Manchester United fans will take to him very well.
0: Yeah, as you say, I think his, his Burnley days really aren't reflective. Of uh you know the the, the level of, of a player he is uh, you know for those who watched him in the Bundesliga he 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 had been really really impressive. Uh, I think his in his last season he got like uh, twenty goals in thirty four games and, and in the two seasons prior to that he'd scored over fifteen goals uh,
1: so his last you, full season you even look at what he's done for the Netherlands at the World Cup yeah, he was the one that grabbed the equalizer, so there's that kind of clutch in his in his game as well. I think Val Vergos is a really is a really smart deal from Eric Tenaga and Manchester United. As I've said, the type of profile is in what United fans probably expected with DeJoe Felix and Cody Hackball links. But you look at the forwards, Manchester United, we have a ray of wide forwards, Marcus Rashford, Anthony, Anthony Martial, Jaden Sancho who will be coming back to the fold in, in the next few days. I think Vergos is an excellent alternative, if you must say, to what Eric Tenaga will be looking for. Um, I must give a shout out to um, Harrison, H2, H-T-O-M-E-S-C on Twitter, if anyone's looking for. I've seen a video he made on the type of number nines Manchester United have, Ericsson Haag has used in his career. And of course, the more well-known one is Sebastian Haller, which he used at Utrecht and at Ajax. And I think Virgos could be a perfect Sebastian Haller light, if you must say, for Manchester United in the short term anyway. And hopefully United fans aren't looking at this deal as they did with Odion in and they're looking more of Edison Cavani, you know.
0: Yep. Uh, it, you know, as I said, it, it seems to be very much up in the air now because I believe Besiktas have, in fact, issued an official statement. Uh, so let's see how that goes. But it, it's it's certainly an, an interesting uh, uh Piece of potential business for Manchester United, uh, and I, I've got a couple of more transfers quickly that we'll discuss. These are perhaps well, these are not remotely as well known uh, as Manchester United uh, and players being linked to them, but I'd say equally as interesting. Uh, one of them is in uh, Austria, who are also currently uh, the Bundesliga. There is uh, not in action uh, with the winter break, but uh, in in there, uh, Sturm Graz have signed. Uh, This player called Brian Teixeira uh, from newly promoted Austria-Lustenau. Teixeira has mightily impressed me this season, I must say, because he's got six goals and six assists uh, in the league, which makes him uh, both the top scorer and the top provider uh, for Austria-Lustenau, who are doing pretty well themselves uh, because they're uh, a fair way away from the relegation zone and and it seems that they they might indeed stay up, Um, although, of course, a long way to go for them. But yeah, he, he's got he's got 12 goal involvements in 16 games, which which is not only the best for his club, but it's the joint best in the whole league. So he, he's been really impressive. Clearly, uh, he's, he's a really exciting left winger. You know, always looking to dribble when he has the ball. He can get get get, get past players, and as you see with with those stats, uh, he can certainly come up with the goods in the final third. And Sturm Graz will be hoping that uh, he's the player who helps bolster their title charge because, of course, uh, they're trying to end Salzburg's domination in uh, the Austrian Bundesliga. They, they were keeping step and almost leading uh, for a while earlier on, but they've dropped six points below them now as we enter uh, the second half of the season after the World Cup break. Of course, Salzburg have won uh, the last, I believe, is it uh, something like nine or ten league titles uh, in Austria. So, it's quite a streak, which is always going to be tough to end but it's it's with transfers like this uh, that other clubs might be able to challenge them so a really interesting move there and, and the final thing i have is not not really a transfer but a contract extension but it's for uh, Rooney barzakci uh, in uh, the danish superliga with uh, fc kobenhaven uh, now this guy is a 17 year old uh, well I, I would say talent but you know he he perhaps already is or has the potential to be a key player for uh, Haven because he, he's just that good. He, I think he made his debut way back in uh, 2021, like just after his 16th birthday or maybe even on it. And from the very first game, it was clear that this guy belongs to the elite level. You know, obviously, he his, still his, his has a way to go with his physical development. But technically, he's an incredible right-winger. The, the ball just sticks to his feet like glue, and he, he can do some amazing stuff with it. He can. He was embarrassing. He was embarrassing senior defenders on his debut, like it was. It was another uh, under 15s under sixteens game. So the, the, I'm. am Look, I, it's it's never good to put too much pressure of uh, expectation on such young talents, but uh, it's safe to say that Rooney Bardakchi is perhaps the best talent to come out of Sweden uh, in the last. 10 to 20 years uh, and yeah I mean I, I, I don't want to give any real predictions for where his career might go but it's it's certainly absolutely right that he's staying for at least a couple of more seasons in the Superliga where he can develop where he can get regular game time now because I know he had an injury which hampered uh, his progress last season so what he will want to do is get one full proper season in where I'm sure he's going to impress. And then there's absolutely no doubt that basically every single uh, elite club is going to be in for him at some point at this trajectory. So that was another uh, really interesting piece of business and perhaps the best piece of business, I'd say, that happened this week uh, because Kribben have tied tied down one of their best talents. Uh, So, yeah, that's about it from us, uh, uh, from the transfer discussion point of view as well. Uh, Finally, let me just quickly mention what we've got coming up uh, this week. Uh, We've got loads of fixtures. We've got a bunch of cup ties in Europe, uh, including of of various sorts like league cups and the regular cups and all sorts of super cups, all sorts of stuff. So there's matches in uh, England, Spain, Italy, the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, Greece, uh, among others, uh, especially in Europe. There's a few top flight leagues in action as well uh, in the week. Uh, The... Major ones include uh, those uh, couple of uh, Middle Eastern leagues, including uh, the Saudi Arabian League, the Premier League, and the Khazar Stars League, as well as a couple of ones uh, in Africa, including the Egyptian Premier League, uh, South African League. And uh, over in Europe, we've got a full round of league on fixtures uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I think it's just two kickoff slots, so that'll be something to keep track of. But I, uh, some interesting games in there. Uh, but we'll probably see if there's anything happening, which we might briefly touch up on Friday. Another big game we've got uh, is, in fact, on Friday, uh, the AFF uh, Mitsubishi Electric Cup final. Of course, if you remember from the previous episode, uh, Ben Griffiths told you to watch the semifinals. uh, And one of them has been completed, which uh, has seen Vietnam uh, progress to the final. And the second leg of the other one between Malaysia and Thailand is tomorrow on Tuesday as we record this. Uh, So it'll be one of those two in the two-legged final. The first leg will be on Friday. Uh, we'll record our second uh, proper episode of this podcast and, and the first proper preview episode uh, right after that result. So we'll also briefly mention and discuss that. Uh, but uh, for now, this is about it we've got from episode one. Uh, thank you very, very much if you stuck around. We, we hope you've enjoyed the ride because well we've gone quite a few places. Uh, big thanks to uh, Rafael and Alex uh, for joining me. Uh, on this episode thanks for thanks for your time guys thanks for the insights uh and yeah until we are back on friday take care uh, and enjoy the football see you Bye-bye. bye bye bye